0: Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. So guys, we're in this series on Romans, really good, such good um, lived theology. Um, As we get started this morning, I want you to think about um, one other person in this church and um, three things you disagree with them on does not have to be family members. Uh, Everyone watching online, you know you can, you got me right in front of you, you can think about me. Three things that you disagree with uh, someone on. My husband in the back row is like, oh, well, this is easy. All right. Do do we have some ideas about what we might have disagreements on? Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, cool. So... Uh, the book of Romans. Paul wrote the book of Romans to the church in Rome. Paul was an early leader of the church, apostle Saint Paul. Uh, he started many churches, and he's writing this book uh, to to help them out with some things. The church in Rome was a little complicated. They had a Jewish followers of Jesus, and they had non-Jewish or Gentile followers of Jesus. And uh, Emperor Claudius had actually kicked out the uh, the Jews from Rome. Uh, Persecution, very unfortunate. So then it was only Gentile followers of Jesus. Then they were welcomed back in to Rome. So then it became mixed uh, religious background as they followed Jesus together. They still came from vastly different backgrounds. The Jewish followers of Jesus, they observed Torah laws, some of which were pretty uh, uh, complicated. Um, They were less wealthy. uh, And Paul himself, a Jew, calls them weak, Uh, quote unquote. The Gentile followers of Jesus who didn't observe the, the Torah, they had more insane more in common with the larger culture, typically more money. Paul calls them strong, quotes and quotes. And the Gentile believers, they look down on the Jewish believers because they they thought they were less influential, things like that. The the Jewish believers believers. They then, you know, looked down on the Gentile believers taking on like kind of a godlike role of, of judging those folks. And the conflict between these two groups was vehement. Uh, this was not just some theological idea philo- philosophy that was ripping them apart. This was really lived out. How do we live our lives? Because a lot of this did have to do with food laws, food regulations, it meant that sharing a meal was almost impossible for them have you ever had friends who who you could not have a meal with yes (laughs) maybe no because it's actually very difficult you know i briefly dated someone who was a chef and it was difficult like his ideas of what was acceptable food i'm like let's just grab a sandwich and get going like it's difficult and What he's telling them as we get into that is that privilege and power have led to tension, have ripped apart their community, and Paul encourages them to love, respect, and unity as siblings. The operative word for Paul throughout this whole thing is siblings. Welcome each other to the table as siblings. God is our father. The church is like our mother Other Christians are our brothers and sisters gathered together in unity. Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome to plead with them, to get their priorities straight, to focus on Jesus and to love one another well. That's what we want to. So let's pray and we'll see how this uh, works out in scripture. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. Thank you that your word to us is good news. Wherever we're at, whatever we're dealing with, whatever our shared life together looks like, your word to us is good news. Would you speak to our hearts and our minds today? Let me give you our attention. And we submit to your word. We say that what you say will go in our life In our minds, in in how we live, Jesus, we submit to your word. We ask that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Would you speak to us, Holy Spirit? Would you change us through your word today? Would you change me through your word today? In Jesus' name, amen amen well uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 14 but before we start there I want to just lay out the issues Um, and we can do we we can look at how some of these things work out do a little vote about what's right and what's wrong so their first issue was what day of the week to have church on who here likes having church on Sunday morning who here would be totally fine with having church on Saturday morning Couple of you, okay, cool, cool. Um, their other issue was over food. If you went to a potluck and there was meat, some of that meat most likely would have come from a vendor at the marketplace who had obtained that meat from a pagan temple. So, you, if you were, you know, worshiping one of these pagan gods, you would uh, take your sacrifice, your lamb, your goat, whatever, sacrifice it to the gods at the temple. The priests would take a little part of the animal. You know, the gods are never real hungry. Give, give the gods a bite or two and then take the rest of the carcass and sell it to a vendor at the marketplace. And that's how they got money to sustain the financial activities of the temple. Who here feels, would feel comfortable eating that pagan dedicated meat? Some of you, okay, okay. Who here is like, "Uh, I just, um, I feel like there might be something wrong with that. Okay, it's about like 20%, 20% split right now. Okay, Um, well, good news. St. Paul was a really radical guy. He was, you know, all sold out for Jesus. I am sure he will tell us. I mean, because he's a radical follower of Jesus, I'm sure he will tell us what is right and what's wrong. Let's turn to chapter 14. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it is all right to eat anything. Another person with a sense of conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them all. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and will receive God's approval. Well, Paul is not telling us what's right and what's wrong. And guys, I think like this is instructive because most of the people who I can think of who are really sold out for Jesus, who are, you know, radical for the faith... They have opinions on almost everything and are posting them quite freely online, on blogs, on whatever. Paul, he's not going down there, going down that road. Continuing verse five, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. And those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we do not live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or we die, whether you live or they die, whether you eat me or don't eat me, whether you worship on one day or another, this vast difference, whether we live or we die, it's to honor the Lord. We belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and the dead. Paul is not taking sides. Paul is taking Jesus' side. The message version uh, translates it interprets it like this it says welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do treat them gently one person thinks sunday is the holy day another thinks each day is pretty much like any other There are good reasons either way what's important in all of this is that if you keep a holy day you keep it for god's sake I'm not keeping a holy day for you. This is not my, my day to, to honor James. So James, let's do it on whichever day is best for you. This is my day to honor God. Do it for God. If you eat meat, do it to the glory of God. Thank God for prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, eat that broccoli for the glory of God. We are all guests at Christ's table wouldn't it be terribly rude to criticize what others ate or didn't ate? You're at a dinner party like, mm. God, after all, invited you all to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made, mm. this is what the message version says, God can handle it without your help. There are corrections to be made. God can handle it without your help. Strong words. You know, I actually, uh, two summers ago, the first pandemic summer, I did a little driveway Bible study with a couple of um, different groups of our our youth who just go sit in their driveway, you know, all space that first summer and do a little Bible study. And actually, this was one of the passages I, I studied with the youth, a couple of these guys, because... You know, they were just really struggling with food sacrifice to idols. JK. They were, had questions about media consumption, uh, tattoos. Actually, this is really pertinent and applicable to a number of things in our Christian life. Um, Looking at how Paul lays this out, Paul's really encouraging us to live a life that's following Christ. He calls it a crystal form life where every part of our life is formed and transformed by Christ. And we have all these differences, right? But as we live into Jesus's life, into his death, in his death he is taken on evil, injustice, oppression, as we follow him in his life and his death into resurrection, we follow him into a new way of living, into a new life. And that changes how we approach our differences. That changes how we live life individually and together. For ourselves, it means we, we follow our conscience. And in our community, it means we follow the path of love. You know, uh, a couple years ago, when people were having big parties, my uncle in Albany had his 50th wedding anniversary. Got all the relatives together, uh, uh, rented out a church fellowship hall, nice catered meal, and so we went obviously, and uh, with our with our kids, we're getting everyone together. Um, our kids were the only like younger folks there, they're no cousins, they don't have grandkids. Um, So he said, as we started driving to Albany, you know, let's pack up a couple things for you to do if you get a little bit bored in this adult party. You know, bring a book, bring a game, whatever. We want you to have some activities because there are no other kids there. When we go, it's a nice party. The food's good, and um, everyone's welcoming, and we're sitting around one of the tables, and there's a little lull in the conversation. And one of my kids, I don't remember who pipes up, dad, you said this was going to be a boring party, but I'm having fun. (laughs) And what can you do? Because it was true. We did warn them. This might be a boring party. Paul's point here is that we are all invited to God's table. And his concern is that we welcome one another warmly. So that was the object of these guys' disagreements. We may have different objects, different things that we are arguing about. That was what they were arguing about. What's the heart of the matter for them? Let's keep reading. Uh, Romans 14, verses 10 through uh, 13, and then the end of the chapter. He says, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. You know, I do just love that the Bible uses the Bible. Um, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable. But it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who do not feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So Paul says, each one of you should be fully convinced of what you're doing, He doesn't say, oh, guys, this is not a big deal. Just let it go, whatever. It doesn't matter. He says each one of you should be convinced of what you are doing. But convinced of what? Because he's not telling us you should be convinced not to eat this pagan meat or you should be convinced to go to church on this day. So what are we supposed to be convinced of? Well, I think the answer is we should be fully convinced that what we're doing is A, you know not not sinful be that it's really honoring Jesus and that it's the best way for us to act in this situation vis-a-vis other people so if you think it's wrong he says don't do it cuz here's how it goes you know i have my ideas but then i see someone like you know maybe paul doing it and i'm like well you know if he does it, you know, I might as well go ahead and do it even though I think it's wrong. And then next week I go ahead and do something else even though I think it's wrong because, hey, now I'm doing things even though I think they are wrong. Where do we draw the line? Draw the line on what you think is right. Most of us do the opposite. Most of us don't follow our own conscience. Think about what other people are doing. Say, "Mm, well, they're doing it. And then we judge other people when they do something even worse. I might have some qualms about watching this content on the internet, but they are, so I'll go ahead and do it. And hey, look what he's watching. Follow your conscience. Verse 23, if you have doubts about whether or not you should do something... You are sinning if you go ahead and do it for you're not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe you believe is not right, you are sinning. Friends, are there things you are not following your conscience for? Are there things I'm not following my conscience for? We want to follow our conscience. There is freedom and joy in following your conscience. And you will feel so much better as you have the freedom of doing what's right for you and the freedom of not worrying about other people. When we follow our conscience, we do it for ourselves, not for anyone else. Um, And that's our orientation. For us, we follow our conscience for other people It's an orientation of consideration, not judgment. Because we do have, we we think about other people, right? How do we think about other people? With consideration, not with judgment. Judgment says, right, wrong, evaluate other people. Consideration says, how can I be best towards them? How can I be most loving towards them? How, How can I change, moderate, do what is best for them? Because in the end, everything is about me. Me and Jesus. I'm responsible to God. I'm responsible for following my own conscience. It's about me doing what is right for other people, not about whether you are doing what is right for you. And it's all about love. Our public response is love. We are invited to the table in love. The whole point is love. Jesus brought us, gathered us together in love, out of love. That's the impetus. That's what our motivation is. Love. Love is precious. We want to keep love. And if God has not said that, that something is a condition for communion, we have no right to make it a basis for condemnation. Life is a school for love. The church is a school for love. And love is what we value and preserve above all else. So, guys, let's get practical. How does this play out in our day to day life? So, Paul says it's good to have convictions. Just don't think about judging anyone else but yourself. You know, love the sinner. Hate your own sin. And guys, I see this applying in so, so many ways here. Um, I I see this applying to, you know, what we watch on TV. You know, maybe violence doesn't really, you know, that's okay for your mental diet. It's not really, you know, you're not thinking about it a, a lot, but maybe it's not helpful for someone else. Is it wrong to drink a glass of wine? Most of the people in the Bible drank wine. Is it wrong? Well, in a world with alcoholism and, you know, is it helpful to other people around you? Ask your conscience, do you need that glass of wine? Well, then how often, right? We're responsible for our conscience and consideration to others TV, alcohol, like guys, so many ways in which this is applicable. For example, um, I was raised in a house, uh, if you don't want know much about my background, it's, uh, it's entertaining, um, dirt road, hand dug well, we ran out of water every summer, like uh, my parents were uh, kind of, my dad was out of work intellectual, there were books everywhere, and um, You know, my parents had, like, a kind of, like, hippie-ish past and then, you know, just read the rest of uh, their life after their hippie stage. Um, But anyways, uh, there was, like, no bad language in my house. It just... I think my dad it wasn't classy enough for him or rude enough for him. I guess I remember uh, my dad. He was uh, doing a carpentry project. I was watching him. I was probably 10 years old. I was watching him. You know, we didn't have a TV, obviously. So you know, I was watching him do a carpentry project, and he like, he got his thumb good. He was pounding nails and just like bashed his thumb, and the first words out of his mouth, "Oh dear, I think Leah will have to drive me to the clinic." That was the first words out of his mouth. Oh dear, I think Leah will have to drive me to the clinic. So if I stub my toe, I say, ouch, that has hurt me. I realize some others of you do not respond the same way. But I can also say no bad words when I stub my toe, but inside I can be like, uh, what stupid person put the Lego in the middle of the floor, didn't clean up, blah, 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 blah. Right? There's different reactions. What is sinful for one person, what looks not sinful for one person, can actually have quite a lot of bitterness and disdain and anger underneath the surface. There are different ways uh, of getting at this thing. Guys, if you are driving, to keep using this um, language um, application, um, if you are driving alone by yourself in the car and someone cuts you off as you are driving, which doesn't seem like people forgot how to drive over COVID. Is it just me? I feel like COVID has... uh, Anyways, um, someone cuts you off. Does it matter what you say alone in your car? You tell me. You tell me. Is it good for, you know, your state of being? Is it good for you? You, This is your conscience. There's not other people necessarily to be considerate of. You tell me. I have a friend, um, just a little side story. Um, she came to the U.S. Um, at like 12 or 13, speaking no English. Uh, learned how to speak speak English quite quickly uh, through middle school. Learning English in middle school in American public high school, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Sometimes she will employ language that I would not choose to employ because she did a good job learning English in middle school. Now, she would never say the same words in her heart language, in her home language. That's the language of her grandma. That's the language of, right? She's not sinning. She's not saying, hmm, how can I add some negative profanity? This is just, right, it's not sinful. Now, of course, she has kids, and she is considerate uh, to, you know, concerns about them and is modifying her behavior and language, right? We're responsible for our conscience, and we must be considerate towards others. It is good to have convictions. We must have convictions. Don't think about judging anyone else but yourself. Love the sinner. Hate your own sin. And guys, I mean, there are so many ways to apply this, to apply this to, you know, disagreements around politics some of the, the disagreements in our society today. Guys, I'm even so serious about this. I see ways to apply this to ice cream. A couple of weeks ago, I was with my sister uh, in Chicago. She just had a baby, and um, there's this really great ice cream place by her house that I love. So of course, I wanted to go and get ice cream there, and all my adorable nephews, my daughter, we all like this ice cream. My sisters like, you know, I'm really trying to get the the healthiness back. They've had a meal train for, you know, her recovery period, and everyone's just giving them lasagna and brownies, and it's been wonderful. It's like, yes, but I really want that ice cream. Steve and I, we try and, you know, spoil our nephews. I feel like my parents are wonderful grandparents but might be failing a little bit in the spoiling department. Um, A couple of years ago is... It was getting close to, like, Thanksgiving. It was cold and wet and rainy. And um, my little nephew was in the back of my sister's car, just riding along. And then he said, T- mommy, remember that one time when Uncle Steven said, let's go get ice cream? And my sister says, you mean back in July when we didn't even end up going to get ice cream? And my yep, remember? Let's go get ice cream. I mean, this is a role we fulfill and it is very, but is it helpful to my sister? Is this what is most loving to her family system? Guys, I'm so serious about consideration. I'm even willing to at least think about applying this to ice cream and my adorable nephews. At least thinking about it. Let's finish up. Um, chapter 15. Chapter 15 says, we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others to do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you, help us, help me, to live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So he's saying, what's your power? How do you have influence? How are you using your power, your authority? You've been here a while, you have a reputation as a good Christian, you have money, you have education. How are you using your power, your privilege to empower others? How are you, use it? How are you being considerate of one another? Philippians 2 says that we must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to be grasped, something to be clung onto. But he emptied himself, he humbled himself, took the position of a servant, and became obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. We want the same attitude that Christ had. There are two main metaphors, uh, as we start to wrap up here, two main metaphors in this passage. The first one is of siblings. Siblings. We're supposed to welcome each other to the table as siblings. This is the command of the letter. And who knows, it is so easy for us to be critical of our siblings. Sometimes when my, my kids are fighting, I say, would you treat your friends the same way you're treating your, your siblings? The answer is no. You wouldn't treat your friends outside in public. But, you know, we're family. It's just so, so easy. And it is not just in our younger years. 60, 70-year-old siblings, 80-year-old siblings still hashing out. There's a history of hurt. But these are precious relationships. These are precious relationships. And these here are precious relationships. The second metaphor is of servants. Um, Luke, uh, let me find this uh, story for us. Um, Luke, seven, Luke 17. And guys, I was, um, I had been through a lot of Christian life, and uh, I'd been through actually a lot of seminary before I heard this story that Jesus told. Jesus said, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep doing his job. Will he say to the servant, when he comes in from the field. Come along now and then sit down, relax, sit down to eat. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, and then after you may eat and drink? Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to? So you also, when you have done everything you are told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. When I heard that parable... I was convicted. I was convicted. I said, wow, I expect, you know, Jesus to be like, wow, Sarah, you did what was right. I expect other people to say, whoa, Sarah, you did what was right. I am a servant of the Lord. We are responsible to God. You're responsible to God, not to this church I will not demand certain things of you that the Lord will lead and guide you. Honestly, it holds you to a higher standard. We are responsible to God, but when God leads and guides us, he does it with so much love, such kindness. He is so smart and so savvy dealing with our souls. He will lead us just the right time, just the right way, with love. God is very gracious and very kind. And it's a joy, it's a privilege to be responsible to Him. And one of the things we are responsible to God for is welcoming one another as siblings to His table. Let's stand. The worship team's going to come on back up. Uh, we're going to spend some time worshiping. But let's stand together, committing to each other, to treat each other gently, to welcome each other warmly, committing to be responsible to God, you are ultimately not responsible to me or Stephen or Rob. We're responsible to God, and there's great freedom and joy in following God that way. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your kindness and your care for us. Thank you that you lead us in the path of life. Thank you that you said that you have come, that we would have life and have life abundantly. As we follow you, living into your death, your resurrection, to bring us into new life, Jesus, would you reorient us? You and me, Jesus, would you speak conviction to my heart? And would you speak kindness and consideration towards, towards me with one another? Thank you, Jesus. In my home